Thank you, Ms. Shannon. You can turn me down a little bit. Hi, everyone. It is great, great to be together with you in this place. We have for months now been doing the uh, live stream from here with about 10 of us, and to have the room uh, much more full is just fantastic. So great to worship with the whole band as well, hey? So good. Someone booked like the golden circle there and didn't pitch up. I'm just like, what is that? Anyway, so feel free to file into the golden circle there. Thanks for signing up. You can bring me down. I'm ringing a little bit. Uh, just welcome again to those of you who are on online. Uh, so great to have you join us. So how many of you, I'm just going to stop until the ringing stops. Is that all right? Just uh, bring me down. Bring the treble down. Thank you. That's good. How many of you wish you were me right now talking about politics? It's been great to uh, sort of tag team with uh, Miss Shannon. She's always just so clear, concise, so helpful. Um, and in almost 25 years of pastoring, I've never, ever done a standalone on how the church should engage in politics. No one forced me into that. I actually chose it as a topic. I chose to preach it. I'm looking forward to it. But I do realize that kind of you can cut the tension in the room in some ways with, with a knife because we live in politically charged days, uh, politically polarized days. I've never seen such political intensity, especially as we move to this uh, election. And uh, in the last six months, it's been a crazy thing how every decision we've made has been viewed politically. Uh, if we call people to wear masks, well, then you must be liberal, you know? And uh, if we call people actually to meet in person, in person, you must be conservative. Uh, if we talk about race, well, you must be Democrats. And if we call people to honor law enforcement, well, you must be Republicans. It's just, it's something I've never faced as a church leader before where people are viewing every single thing through lenses. I was talking to people, some friends of mine, about uh, the forest fires, terrible fo forest fires last week, and suddenly it just became political. It's an amazing thing. Even coughing is political. You know, what is the right way to cough? Is it into here or into here? And it's just like a crazy thing. You know, they say this, that in polite company, there's two things you should never talk about, politics and religion. And I'm going to talk about both. Uh, so, so stay with me. Help me here. Don't, don't ice the kicker. Um, I'm not going to try and be offensive. I'm going to try and keep a light touch, but we are going to wrestle with the Word of God. A little bit of humor. Forgive me for being a little earthy, but one guy was talking about kind of the politics of coughing. Older guy, and he was like, to be honest, you know, I used to uh, cough to cover when I was going to pass gas. Now I pass gas to cover when I'm going to cough. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, what in the world? It's like a crazy, crazy world. And how do we keep a light touch but realize these are weighty, weighty things. We feel them deeply. Many of us have got into arguments where friends and family have separated. We, we feel uh, the tension. And I, I really want to help you. I want to help you. I care how you vote. But I care more how you walk during this time as your pastor. I care how you walk. I can't tell you how to vote, and I'm not going to tell you how, how I'm going to vote, but I can help you to walk during this time. And so we're going to read a passage of Scripture that I think is going to be really helpful in helping us to walk as Christ followers during this time. 
feel free, no pressure, but to help me at times when something resonates uh, with an amen. That'll help me. Uh, if something is not resonating, but you feel dissonance, that's okay. I'm an equal opportunity offender. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm not trying to be offensive, but the Word of God, we just have to wrestle with it. Even as I've sat with pa this passage, I've wrestled. The Lord has kind of convicted me in moments. I'm, I'm preaching as someone who's not perfect in this area, but I'm trusting that it'll be helpful. So Philippians 3, verse 17 to chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The Apostle Paul writing here is, is feeling deeply about this. He's weeping as he's writing. I tell you even now with tears, some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So the Apostle Paul is talking to the Philippians. He's talking to them as family. The, the word brothers is, is non-gender specific. It's, it's brothers and sisters. It's, it, today he'd be saying, hey fam, come, gather around. Gather around, fam. My joy and my crown, my, my beloved, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm teaching you with, with tears in my eyes. There's deep, deep compassion. And essentially, he is helping us to answer the question, how should the church engage in politics? And, and the short answer that I'm going to try and unpack is as dual citizens. The church should engage in politics as dual citizens with first allegiance to the kingdom of heaven and Jesus as king and second allegiance to the Republic of America if you're American. That is how every nation, every generation, every Christian throughout the ages should engage in politics as dual citizens with first allegiance to the kingdom of heaven and second allegiance to the nation in which they live. I pledged allegiance to the United States of America in 2017. This is the first election, presidential election, that I get to vote in. I'm proud to be an American. I am a patriot. I do not like anti-American sentiment. Trust me. It took us 10 years and thousands of dollars, and I have passed political tests that some of you might fail. I know stuff about this amazing country, not as much as Christine Nethers, but I know some stuff. And it was a precious day. I did it actually on the same day as Adri Holmes, Matt Holmes's wife. But actually when Ronell and I pledged allegiance, we held dual citizenship with South Africa. I say today, 
South Africa is my mother. America is my wife. And that's a big deal. That was a big deal to get to that point. Because I even had to swear that I would be willing, in some case, to go to war against my homeland because I pledged allegiance. In other words, dual citizenship is not equal allegiance to each nation. It's first allegiance to one and second allegiance to the other. Is that clear to you? And it was a hard thing to come to. It was very hard for, for our families in South Africa, very hard. Some of them actually felt offended by that. But it actually helped me very, very much with this passage where Paul is writing to the citizens of a city-state called Philippi, which was actually a Roman colony. And so these citizens held the most prestigious passport in all of the then-known world. They were Romans. The problem was that they'd come to Christ and were beginning to experience persecution for being Christians. And so they were in a conflict with allegiance in terms of citizenship. Some of them must have felt tempted to give up their Christian citizenship because it would have gone easier for them as Roman citizens. And Paul actually said, no, 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 no. You are citizens of heaven. Some walk with their mindset on earthly things, but not you. You are citizens of heaven, and from heaven you await a savior. In other words, he was saying, nail your colors to allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom first and Rome second. And beloved, that is how we are called. That is how Jesus calls every Christ follower to engage in politics. Firstly, with allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. And secondly, to this great nation. And it will change the way, it should change the way we engage in politics. As I say, today, I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to vote or how you should vote. You might try and guess. You might try and read between the lines. But actually, I care most about how we walk, not as enemies of the cross of Christ, but as friends of the cross of Christ. And when Paul say, says, some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, well, why? Because their minds are set on earthly things. When we walk as a friend of the cross of Christ, our minds actually are set on heavenly things and it changes the way we engage in politics. Is that clear? So dual citizens with first allegiance to heaven and second to their country have a distinctiveness. We engage with distinctiveness. We have a distinct allegiance. We have a distinct honor. We have a distinct courage and a distinct unity. And I'm going to unpack those for us during this time. Firstly, a distinct allegiance. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Well, what happens when we say, Jesus, I love this country, but actually my first allegiance is to you and your kingdom? Do you know what happens? It doesn't make us politically neutral. And trust me, I'm not politically neutral. Each of us have convictions each of us lean one way or the other. But what it means is that when we choose a political ideology party or candidate, we say, look, I think this best represents the kingdom of heaven. But we also say no party ideology or candidate ever fully represents Jesus and his kingdom. 
And so we vote, but we vote with a sense of, I'm not gonna put all my hope in this. I talk to so many Christians today who say, I'm gonna vote, it's a privilege to vote, please register to vote, but they say, I feel a little bit, little bit politically conflicted and homeless. And I wanna say, if you do, that's okay. That might just be a sign that you've taken seriously that your true home is in heaven. We say, no, no, I think this is the best of the bunch, but it doesn't fully represent Jesus and his kingdom. And you know, when we forget that, when we make one party or one candidate the kingdom, we forget Jesus' words in Mark 18 that my kingdom is not of this world. And that's not just a cheesy clothing brand, not of this world. It's actually a reminder that no human ideology can fully represent Jesus' kingdom. So dual citizens recognize that they can love a party and should love a country, but shouldn't put their ultimate hope in a party or, ca or candidate. Let me be a little bit pr provocative and just say, no donkey and no elephant are ever going to save you. They might be best or worst for this country, but ultimately we pledge our allegiance to a lamb. It's a lamb who laid down his life. It's a lamb who will transform our lowly bodies into a glorious body. It's a lamb who will subdue all things under his feet. Beloved, one day in thousands of years, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, every known nation now will be a footnote in the pages of history. The kingdom of Jesus will continue. We must remember. So when we engage, we're not called to withdraw. Some people are saying, oh yeah, yeah, great. So let's just not vote and let's just withdraw and let's just, you know, let's just preach the gospel and get people saved. No, no, no. We actually are to engage, but we are not to covenant. There's a difference between engaging and covenanting. I've got a friend who was press secretary in the George W. Bush era. He's now a pastor. And one day he, he, he uh, sort of tells a secret. He's like, do you know that I've got an elephant tramp stamp? I was like, you do not. He's like, yes, I am a dyed in the wool. I was like, show me. I don't believe you. And he was just like, I was like, whoa. And I was like, so how do you feel about that 15 years later? He's like, well, I'm still a Republican, but actually I pledged allegiance in an unhealthy way. I set all my hope and actually now I don't feel quite as strongly. I still lean that way, but actually now I pledge allegiance to a lamb. It's just interesting, just interesting. And you know, C.S. Lewis talks about the beauty of not withdrawing, but engaging in politics with our hope set on heaven. And he says how actually it makes us better political citizens. In 1950, C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians that did the most for the present world are just the ones that thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set out on foot in the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, those who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. 
neither neither which do you say both work my dual citizenship is showing itself do you remember when the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to trap Jesus and they said should we pay taxes to Caesar and the Pharisees were withdrawing from politics and the Herodians had just like immersed themselves that's why they were called Herodians they put all their hope in Herod so what is Jesus going to be is he going to be for or against and Jesus says just bring bring a coin bring a coin and there's Caesar's face on there. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. In other words, honor Caesar, absolutely, but only put your hope in God. Caesar is Caesar. Caesar is not God. And God give us the wisdom to engage and set our hope on heaven and the king of heaven, amen? So dual citizens have a unique, distinct allegiance. Secondly, dual citizens have a distinct honor. Can you say honor with me? Honor. Honor. I had to change the spelling of honor when I came to America. I had to remove the U. But it's the same in English and American, right? It's honor. And the Apostle Paul, he, he gives a description of people who have their minds set on earthly things, who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. And one of them, or their God is their belly, their end is destruction. And then it says, and they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. Now, there's two ways to glory and shame. The one is when you take pride in being as immoral as possible. And we see that in culture today where there's a, a pride in immorality. And it's a terrible thing. And so when Governor Newsom signs the bill removing automatic penalty for consensual sex acts involving minors, it's actually glorying in shame. It's, it's not right at all. We, we, we've, we've, we should be shocked that that seems to be passed and empowers pedophiles. We should be shocked. But before we just get too shocked, we also need to realize that there's another way to glory in shame, and that is to glory in shaming others. And we see that as strongly in our political culture where we glorify or idolize one leader and therefore demonize another. And what happens is, is it actually rips at the heart of our culture of civility, where we sit like keyboard warriors, waiting for our political opponent to make a mistake. And let's face it, they give us a lot of shame fodder. And then when they make a mistake, we just leap on it. Did you see Nancy Pelosi walking into that hair salon? What a hypocrite, shame on her. Did you see Biden? Kiss that little girl's head, shame on him. And he forgot all his lines, shame on him. Or did you see Trump with that 3 a.m. Twitter rant, shame on him, or that photo Bible up, shame on him. Don't go quiet on me, we've all seen that. And some of us have done that. I've actually done it, fessing up. Because when you've got an opponent, you just are looking for as much dirt as possible on them. And in some ways, it's natural, it's human, but Paul, Apostle Paul says, actually, if we're citizens of heaven, we have a different culture. It's not a culture of shame, it's the culture of honor. And honor isn't just agreeing with your political opponent, but at bottom line, it's loving your political enemies. What is it to love our political enemies? It's to honor what is honorable without stumbling over what is not. It's hard, but actually, Jesus wants us to be distinct. 
let's face it i mean why would non-christians or not yet believers want to come into our church if they find us as shaming and toxic and divided as the world out there why would they want to come in surely they should come in and say these people don't all agree on the same stuff but there's there's a culture of honor they speaking the truth we've got to speak the truth to power but that's not the same as shaming and I want to encourage us in the six weeks lead up to the election and afterwards, irrespective of how you vote, is to amplify moments of honor. The Apostle Peter talking to uh, the church in Rome who had been terribly persecuted by Emperor Nero, terribly, he blamed Christians in AD 64 on a fire that he started and then started killing Christians, blaming them. And Peter says, honor the emperor. Are you kidding me? Emperor Nero is completely dishonorable. No, no, no. Actually, if you are citizens of heaven, you embrace a culture of honor rather than shame. You know what happened in AD 64? The whole of Rome started to turn on Emperor Nero because they realized, actually, he's been unjust. I know this is hard, beloved, but actually, Jesus gives us power to do that you know I'd speak to people that are 50 plus years old and I'm told by them that 20 years ago if you voted Republican but a Democrat president came in that person was still your president and if you voted Democrat but a Republican came in that person was still your president now it's hashtag not my president or it's hashtag if you vote that unfriend me now you're not my friend where does that come from that comes from the culture of earth, not from the culture of heaven. Amplify those moments. I was so blessed by watching this moment um, where the civil rights activist, John Lewis, was honored after his passing. And I saw George W. Bush stand up and say this, John Lewis and I had nothing in common politically, but I will honor that he laid down his life courageously and sacrificially for those who had no rights. I honor that. And I just said, please, can we have more of that? Amen. Yeah. Doesn't mean we don't nail our colors politically, but we're actually able to love our political enemies. It means that we break out of our political news echo chambers and listen and learn to people who think slightly differently to us. We're able to do that. Able to do that. Citizens of heaven, dual citizens, have a distinct honor. Thirdly, they have a distinct courage. Distinct courage. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It's family talk. Family, stand firm. And some of you are going, oh, you're talking about honor, but what about like the truth? Come on, we, we are voting for the soul of America here. And, and it's true, we should vote with conviction, with biblical conviction and conscience. But actually part of the soul of America is realizing that we need a culture of civility. And if the culture of civility is ripped out, it actually escalates into the kinds of violence that we're seeing on the street today. So we have honor, but then we have courage to be able to stand firm in the Lord now. I am going to take my courage in my hands and say this, that, that as we stand firm 
in biblical values, we are to stand firm, as Paul says, in love. President Barry Corey, president of Biola, uh, says that Christians should have a firm center but soft edges. In other words, we've got convictions, but we're able to interface with people who think differently to us. And one of the things that we need to be able to stand firm in is, is to realize that each generation tends to have blind spots. In other words, those who believe the Bible will tend to cherry pick certain biblical truths and rarely go to war on those, but go soft on others. And so in the church, we have this problem that there's this generational divide where we feel like we've got nothing in common. And so I'm going to take my courage in my hands and speak to over 40s and humbly ask you to stand firm on some things. Now, you might be standing firm on those, but, but I found generally over 40s go a bit soft on these. If you don't, then forgive me. And I'm over 40, so I've actually been convicted. And then we're going to turn to under 40s and say, please, can you stand firm on these even if it's not your most passionate? So, you ready? Yeah. Equal opportunity offense here. I'm not trying to offend. One, over 40, stand firm, biblically, for racial reconciliation. You don't have to buy into woke, anti-racist culture. But if you follow Jesus, you have to wrestle deeply with his words, my house will be called a house of prayer for all, gen for all nations. Jesus got really angry when the church was divided racially and culturally. He really did. Why? Because his broken body in the cross not only reconciled us to God, but reconciled and broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Greek, slave and free, barbarian and Scythian, male and female. He broke down, he reconciled us horizontally. And so please, over 40, stand firm on that. Secondly, stand firm in remembering the poor. Many of you do, but there tends to be this thing in over 40s, not all, but, but tends to be. I'm really overqualifying, aren't I? Uh, the sense of like, well, I don't want to buy into high taxation and government agency, and I don't want to go like socialist, so, so I'm going to stand form, firm on free market. And I'm saying even if, as you do that, we've got to wrestle with Jesus' words, remember the poor. Blessed are the poor, for such is the kingdom of heaven. As you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. These are not political words. These are Jesus' words. So stand firm in remembering the poor. Amen? Over 40s, stand firm. I want to walk carefully here. On character counting in political candidates. Now, I realize that when we vote for a political candidate, we are weighing up policy, platform, and character. And there are times when we just have to say, actually, the policy is more important than the character. And I get that. I get that. I actually agree with that. But I want to tell you, as a pastor and a father of younger people, under 40s really struggle when their parents said, when Clinton was impeached, character counts. And now are saying character does not count. There's a dissonance. And I want to ask you humbly just to say, just wrestle with character 
even if policy wins out, wrestle with character. No president, no politician has to be a saint, squeaky clean. I'm not saying that. Just please wrestle with character because it's a stumbling block for younger people. Thirdly, over, fourthly, over 40s, please wrestle and stand firm on the sanctity of marriage. You're probably saying, of course, I am. But I've found, even in my own life, sanctity of marriage, we've often taken that to be, I'll stand firm on marriages between a man and a woman, and it is, biblically. But we go firm on that, and we tend to go soft on divorce. I just want to say, we've got to be firm on both. Gracious, absolutely, but firm on, but you can't go firm on marriage between man and woman, and then really soft on divorce. Actually, Jesus spoke about both. Over 40s, stand firm on these things. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting these to you humbly as your pastor. All right, over 40s, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Now it's t- the turn of the younger. Give me a woohoo. Okay, younger, under 40s, put, put your hands up. How many, how many are there? Okay, under 40s. You might say, well, that's a really arbitrary, you know, the oldest millennials are now turning 40. So I was speaking to Gen X, Boomer, greatest generation over 40s now i'm speaking to millennial and gen z stand firm stand firm for sexual holiness please stand firm for sexual holiness i love the passion that under 40s have for fighting sex slavery i wish they'd be as passionate for fighting porn as a justice issue because actually at the heart of sexual slavery is porn. I wish they'd be as passionate about fighting hookup culture and fighting the idea of gender is just a spectrum. Please stand firm in fighting against sexual slavery, absolutely, but we need you to stand firm on sexual holiness, not being judgy, not being condemning, but actually recognizing it's all sacred. And many of you are, but but I'm asking you. I'm asking you under 40s to stand firm on the sanctity of the unborn. Please stand firm on this. This might not be your most passionate thing. This might have been like, well, that's what my parents battled against, but the tide is turning. We need you to join us in that because it's a Bible thing, not a political thing. It's a Bible thing, not a generational thing. Stand firm. And that might be picketing outside an abortion clinic, but it also might be adopting and fostering. We've got different ways of standing firm, but let's stand firm, fam. And then thirdly, under 40s, please stand firm on the upholding of the law. Law enforcement and just general institutional authority. There's one thing to want police reform, and we should want police reform, but it's another thing to buy into lawlessness. Please do not buy into lawlessness. As an African, trust me, you do not want a nation in which police are dishonored. It will go poorly for you. Because what will happen is law will be handed over to warlords. Please trust me on this. I was 35 when I landed here, and one of the things Ronell and I so loved was that firefighters and nurses and law enforcement and military were honored. Does that mean that there needs to be reform? Absolutely, but please stand firm on upholding the law. Romans 13 just says it. 
Doing all right? You know, when, when, we do, when we do this across the generations, in the kingdom, we will be unstoppable. We might vote differently in presidential elections, but actually if we stand firm on these, we will find ways in our county and our state still to stand firm and still to link arms and be together. And some might be more passionate about that and more passionate about this, but we're not this like just echoes of our own generation. There's a sense of timelessness from the word of God that the world looks and says, you know what, those guys are not exactly the same, but man, they're standing firm. And some of these things, the more we stand firm on them, the more the world will hate us. And that's why we need one another. Because <laughs> otherwise, if we don't stand firm, we're gonna start turning on one another and devouring one another. Please, let's stand firm in love. Finally, dual citizens have a distinct unity. They have a distinct unity. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The beauty of the family of God is that we can watch other people's walk even if we don't know their vote. And we can say, you might vote differently from me, but I see your walk and you're walking, aiming at heaven. I need that. Please hold me accountable because I'm getting carried away. I'm getting caught up in a culture of rage. Please watch my Facebook feed and my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed. Make sure that I don't get carried away. Please hold me accountable. How have you done it? I wanna do it too. And there's this distinct unity what is written on our American bank notes? Yes, first, good. What is written on the seal on our American bank notes? E pluribus unum, out of many, one. The United States of America. Some of you thought I was gonna start a conspiracy theory about bank notes, right? <laughs> Seen enough of these. But I just wanna draw your attention to e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And I just look and I go, Jesus, help us as a nation. We are about as far from that as we have been since the Civil War. And I reckon that citizens of heaven have the, the best shot at modeling e pluribus unum through the reconciling power of the cross. Because actually the reconciling power of the cross was not unity and uniformity. We're together because we believe the same. Unifying power of the cross was unity and diversity representing the Trinity. I mean, just think about what Paul said about Jesus destroying the dividing wall of hostility between sworn enemies. I mean, if you were a Jew, you were raised to call Gentiles dogs. You would have never voted the same. And the cross reconciled those. Reconciled educated and uneducated. Slave and free. Male and female. Sworn natural born enemies. The cross reconciled them. Think about John 17. Jesus main prayer for his disciples was that they would be one even as I and the Father are one. United in diversity. Jesus just knew that we'd have an issue with unity. Because he would purchase such diverse people. 
Think about Jesus, the meal of the kingdom. This is my body broken for you, for your wholeness, for your unity. Jesus was paying for this picture of unity in diversity. Think of the Bible's picture of worship in heaven. Every nation and tribe and tongue worshiping around the throne with one voice, but many languages. In other words, you and I will be worshiping next to our Republican or Democrat sister and brother. Even harder, you and I will be worshiping next to our pacifist, semi-socialist, maple syrup sipping Canadian brother and sister. And they are going, I've got to worship next to my big truck driving, meat eating, very capitalist American brother and sister. Imagine, imagine. Even harder, you and I will be worshiping next to our communist Cuban brother and sister. It doesn't mean you agree. It means there's a deeper flaw of unity. And actually, beloved, you and I forget that what we believe about Jesus is far more strong than what we believe about politics. That we believe in God our Father. That we believe in Christ the Son. That we believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. That we believe in the cross and the resurrection that Christ will rise again. We believe in Holy Communion. We believe in the church. Those things are much stronger than political ideology. They will last much longer. And so we have a distinct unity that enables us to love in our difference. Think of Jesus' own team, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was trying to overthrow the Roman government. He would probably have been a member of Antifa. I'm telling you. Matthew the tax collector was working for the Roman government. He would have worked for the IRS. How on earth were those two family to the reconciling power of the cross? E pluribus unum, a unique unity. Some of you are sitting here and saying, yeah, the hope of heaven. I mean, I don't have the hope of heaven. All I've got is the hope of this earth. And the offer for each of us today in Jesus is heaven can be your home. And the throne of heaven where Jesus rules can be your anchor. And the hope of heaven where Jesus will return and subdue all things under him and glorify our lowly bodies to be like his, that can be our greatest hope. Let's engage. Let's love. Let's honor. But let's set our hope on Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from there, we await a Savior. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you are bringing unity in diversity. Thank you that you are turning a culture of shame into a culture of honor. And Lord, thank you that you're helping us to stand firm on biblical issues, eternal issues. Give us wisdom, Lord. Please protect our unity in these coming weeks, we pray. Please, Lord, and we desire, as much as we desire, 
political righteousness in this country, we so deeply desire the gospel to transform lives. Please, Lord, won't you save many at this time? May the kingdom of heaven advance. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand together as we worship Jesus.